Welcome to the A Catholic Life Podcast. I am Matthew, the author of A Catholic Life, welcoming you to episode 54 of the A Catholic Life Podcast. In today's episode on the second Sunday of Lent, I address the following topics. First, a brief remark regarding the readings for this second Sunday of Lent and what they can teach us regarding our Lenten journey. Secondly, how the traditional Latin Mass reinforces Lent as a fast what we can learn from the church's readings. And finally, an article of mine entitled, Early Christians Fasted Even from Water During Lent. There's so much we can learn about the church's traditions regarding Lent, and while it has changed over time, we can voluntarily pick up a lot of these as we pick up the gauntlet and try to restore Catholic customs and Catholic society in our own homes, in our own parishes, our own chapels, until one day, hopefully, God willing, the whole church voluntarily restores what has been lost. But before we get into these topics, I'd like to stop and thank the sponsor for today's episode. This episode is sponsored by PrayLatin.com. PrayLatin.com offers Latin prayer cards to learn and share prayers in the sacred language. Learn your basic prayers in Latin conveniently on the go. Practice pronunciation with easy-to-follow English phonetic renderings of Latin words. PrayLatin.com offers prayer cards in various formats, including Latin-English rosary pamphlets with the traditional 15 mysteries. Shop for additional Latin resources like missile booklets, server response cards, and much more. Please visit PrayLatin.com today. On to the first topic of today's episode, a few remarks regarding the readings for this second Sunday of Lent. The epistle is taken from 1 Thessalonians, which starts in part, quote, Brethren, for the rest, therefore, brethren, pray and beseech you in the Lord Jesus, that as you have received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, so also you would walk, that you may abound the more. For you know what precepts I have given to you by the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. And it goes on. And of course, Lent is a great time for us to show God how much we truly love him and how much we appreciate the benefits he gives us because we can offer a fitting sacrifice in the form especially of prayer and fasting along with almsgiving as well. And the gospel uh, for this particular Sunday is taken from Matthew 17 verses 1 through 9 and it concerns our Lord's transfiguration. And this is what Father Pius Parr says briefly regarding the second Sunday of Lent in his book, Sermons on the Liturgy, where he says in part, quote, Owing to the occurrence of the spring ember days of this time of year, the gospel for the transfiguration has come to be used during Lent. It foreshadows beyond question the mystery of Christ's second coming. Yet this gospel has been associated with Lent for many centuries and serves very well to express the positive side of Lent and to prepare us for the celebration of the Easter mystery. The Transfiguration is the heart of the Mass text for today and supplies the main lesson. Whereas the Gospel for last Sunday emphasized more the negative aspects of Lent, the Gospel for today tends to stress the positive purpose of this season. Transfiguration is grace, moral perfection, and glory. This is the aim of Lent. End quote. 
I did not discuss in the episode last week the Ember Days which occur during Lent because I'm assuming and hoping that everybody listening is already fasting and abstaining every single day of Lent. Of course, no fasting on Sundays, but abstaining even on Sundays from Ash Wednesday until we celebrate our Lord's resurrection. As such, the spirituality and the focus of the Ember Days uh, helps us direct, as you might uh, say, some of our fasting and our works for the good of souls, for the clergy who are being ordained, for the fruits of the earth. But the practice we're actually doing shouldn't change in those days. It's still the Lenten fast. So that's why I didn't go into the specifics of the Ember Day fast last week. I'm assuming everybody's already fasting. Now, the second topic I want to mention today is an article I wrote on how the traditional Latin Mass reinforces Lent as a fast. I wrote this article in 2022. And in it, I said, it's lamentable that so few Catholics keep the traditional Lenten fast as practiced by our forefathers for centuries. And while we have happily seen an increase in the number of traditional Latin Masses offered over the past several decades, few Catholics have promoted a return to fasting that our ancestors knew and practiced religiously. And in fact, even the rules in places of 1962 are substantially harder than what the average Catholic observes today, though those particular rules are still so mitigated from ones in the past. Now, the actual text of the Lenten Masses, though, underscore the importance of the Lenten fast, and they repeatedly refer to the fasting done by the faithful at this time. The Church in her liturgy, even in the 1962 Missal, assumes and expects the faithful in attendance at the traditional Mass to at least be keeping the fasting rules in place as of 1962, if not the more robust fasting practice beforehand. That robust fasting practice beforehand included the abstinence of all animal products and abstinence even on Sundays. Even in the 1962 calendar and, and requirements, every single day of Lent other than Sundays was a required day of fasting. So that has come down until 1962. Now, the preface, for instance, not only underscores the ongoing 40-day bodily fast, but also mentions some benefits of this healing remedy where it says in part uh, to the eternal God, quote, who by this bodily fast doth curb our vices, lift our minds, strength and rewards bestow, end quote. So there's three benefits right there. Now the Colic for Ash Wednesday highlighted at the beginning of Lent the following, quote, grant, O Lord, to thy faithful people that they may undertake with fitting piety this period of fasting, and completed with steadfast devotion, end quote. The Colic for Friday after Ash Wednesday, for instance, continues this, where it says, quote, Further with thy gracious favor we beseech thee, O Lord, the fast which we have begun, that the bodily observance which we keep may also be to practice with sincere devotion, end quote. Now, in the Mass Proverbs for the first Sunday of Lent, fasting is referenced in the Epistle, while the Gospel reading recounts our Lord's 40 days of fasting in the desert. Likewise, in the Divine Office, the Ordinary of Lent refers to the bodily fast of Lent. It is a known peculiarity to the traditional breviary that the Ordinary of the Lenten season only begins with the first Vespers of the first Sunday in Lent. The first four weekdays of Lent use the Ordinary for the time throughout the year. That's a holdover of an ancient tra a tradition uh, before Ash Wednesday was established as the beginning of Lent. Now, the chapter, the little chapter from Terrace in the Divine Office is taken from Joel 2, 12, 13, which refers to fasting as 
does the antiphon for sect, which says, quote, with the armor of justice, let us give ourselves to much patience and fasting, end quote. And the same can be seen in the hymn of Vespers, which begins as follows. O kind creator, bow thine ear to mark the cry to know the tear before thy throne of mercy spent in this thy holy fast of Lent. So the priests and the monks who are praying the divine office throughout the entire day, every day, are repeatedly referring to the church fasting, not fasting just on Good Friday and fasting on Ash Wednesday and not even just fasting on those days and Fridays. And certainly these are assuming everybody is fasting throughout the entire season, every day but Sundays. Now, turning again to the Proper's for the Mass, the references to fasting continue repeatedly and include the Collect for Monday in the first week of Lent, the Lesson, Collect, and Gospel for Ember Wednesday, the Collect for Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and this is the second week of Lent, the Secret Prayer for Thursday in the second week of Lent, and so on. In fact, the Collect for Friday in the second week of Lent, for instance, says, quote, Grant, we beseech the Almighty God, that cleansed by this holy fast, we might arrive in the right dispositions at the holy feast which is to come, end quote. Abstinence is specifically mentioned in the Collect for Thursday in the first week of Lent, and temperance, which is strengthened by both fasting and absence, is mentioned by name in the Collect on Tuesday in the third week of Lent. So all of this to be said, and this, of course, is just a mere sampling, they are undoubtedly numerous references to fasting, and they continue. In one instance, for example, the Collect for Wednesday in the fourth week of Lent also says, quote, O God, who through fasting grantest to the just the reward of their merits and to sinners forgiveness, have mercy on thy clients that confession of our guilt may obtain for us pardon for our sins. And finally, when Passion Tide begins on the fifth Sunday and let the focus and the bravery and the, and the Mass do shift from corporal punishment we bear for our sins to an awareness of the suffering we cause our Lord. But even with this focus change, fasting references do not end. For instance, the Collect for Monday of Passion Week even says, quote, Hallow our fast, we beseech thee, O Lord, and mercifully grant us the forgiveness of all of our faults, end quote. So all this to be said, the church is assuming and expecting all of us should be going through and observing the traditional Lenten fast. I encourage you to check out the link in the show notes to my article on this topic. There's also a link in there to how we can keep the traditional Lenten fast. And there's also a link to a Lenten cookbook as well that I would encourage some people to check out and because there are some vegan recipes in there that I think are worth checking out if you're looking to find some additional meals to have this season. Now, the third topic I'd like to mention today is another article of mine that I wrote in the past entitled, Early Christians Fasted Even from Water During Lent. So continuing on the trend of highlighting how important it is we should be fasting during Lent. If you haven't already, now is the time. But one thing I do want to mention is that even in the very early church, I have shown through research that even liquids broke the fast. In the early church, fasting also included, for instance, absence from wine taking man back to his antediluvian diet before God first permitted Noah to eat meat and drink wine. That's one of the reasons we take away meat, and that's one of the reasons Eastern Catholics and the Eastern Orthodox take away wine during Lent, because these were consolations God gave to Noah after the flood, and these consolations are removed during the Lenten fast. In apostolic times, the main meal was a small one, mainly of bread and vegetables, Fish, but not shellfish, became permitted on days of absence around the ninth, around the 6th century. 
shellfish did not become permitted until closer to the 10th century. Thus, some Eastern rites will abstain from meat, animal products, wine, oil, and even fish on fasting days, hearkening back to these ancient times. But remarkably, even water was forbidden during fasting times in the very early church. Father Alvin Butler in Movable Feast and Fast provides this testimony when he writes, quote, St. Frictusus, the holy bishop of Tarragon in Spain, in the persecution of Valerian in 259, being led to martyrdom on a Friday at 10 o'clock in the morning, refused to drink, because it was not the hour to break the fast. Though fatigued with imprisonment and standing in need of strength to sustain the conflict of his last agony, it is a fast, he said. I refuse to drink. It is not yet the ninth hour. Death itself shall not oblige me to abridge my fast, end quote. That's remarkable. That kind of fortitude in the face of martyrdom, and he refused to break the church's legislative fast. It should also be said this was not during the Lenten fast. The early Christians as well always fasted every Wednesday and Friday throughout the year. So whereas during Lent, the mealtime would be Slightly later, after sunset, he's referring now to the ninth hour, that is three o'clock, the, the hour of which our Lord died. That was the hour in the early church when the fast was could be broken on the weekly devotional fast of Wednesdays and Fridays. I go over this and much more in the book, The Definitive Guide to Catholic Fasting and Absence. You can find it on Amazon and other booksellers as well. So if this is of interest to you, if this is new, please obtain a copy there. It is based on years of research that I've put out. Another thing I'll mention is the Pulpit Orator, published in 1884, similarly notes uh, this trend where it says, quote, that we take only one full meal, Sundays accepted. The Christians of the first age observed this ecclesiastical ordinance very exactly after the setting of the sun, nor did they drink water unless there was a necessity. A council declares only when necessity requires it on account of hard labor or weakness is it allowed to drink, end quote. Father Alban writes elsewhere, quote, It is undoubted that anciently to drink on fasting days was no less forbidden than to eat, only in the refection after sunset, end quote. And he also insightfully remarks, quote, Even the first allowance of a collation, which consisted only of a drought of drink, shows it was not allowed before to drink at all on fasting days before the hour of the meal. The Mahometans, though immersed in sensuality and vice, keep up this essential law in their fast, which consists of neither eating nor drinking nor smoking the whole day, from morning to the rising of the stars in the evening, end quote. Now, the custom of fasting even for water was similarly practiced in very ancient Judaism. And one other thing I will mention is that before the changes to the Eucharistic fast by Pope Pius XII on January 6, 1953, in Christus that even water broke the Lenten fast. There could be no food and no water from midnight until the time you received our Lord in Holy Communion. People always talk about the change he made to allow only three hours before Holy Communion from solid food and from alcoholic beverages. That actually was changes that he made on March 25th, 1957. Those are different than the changes he made in 1953, where he said in part, quote, in the future, it shall be a general and common principle of all, both priests and faithful, that natural water does not break the Eucharistic fast. 
Now, those old enough to remember masses before 1953 may recall that Catholic schools, for instance, would always cover the drinking fountains until after mass had ended so that we children would not accidentally drink water. It was that important that absolutely nothing could be drank or eaten before you received our Lord in Holy Communion. How far we have come. In fact, I have a whole chapter in the Definitive Guide to Catholic Fasting and Absence in my book regarding this, and it's so lamentable. So few Catholics know it all about the Eucharistic fast. Now, really, the one-hour fast is such a joke that we should, at a minimum, always be observing the three-hour fast, or even better, the fast before 1953 voluntarily. I hope and pray that everybody is having a wonderful Lenten fast, that you are increasing your prayer and your almsgiving as well, and you are finding ways to do great charitable works. Please don't let the busyness of life get in the way of truly living out the Lenten season. May God grant you a most blessed week and a blessed Lent. Thank you for listening. Ad maiorum Dei Gloria. Quito,